of two eyes, huh? Do you understand the game a bit? Yeah, have a look. I'm not saying anything to you in particular because I know you're not too accurate with your reporting. That, that's what okay, you're paid so you're for. Saying it. I should resign. So you're saying I should resign. I think that's you should, your opinion. Yeah. Is that right? That's my opinion. Fine. Are you going to resign then? No, of course I'm not going to resign. I simplify things next time. <laughs> Buenos noches, people of the world, wherever you're tuning in from. Welcome to tonight's edition of the National Curriculum. Uh, coming to you live uh, from Sydney, uh, I am Nick Stoll. Uh, joining me in Melbourne is uh, Joey Lynch and Taryn. How are you guys? Going very well, thanks, Nick. How are you? Oh, the enthusiasm is coming in hot. Wow. Uh, all the all the energy in the world there from Joey. Uh, but look, if you got more energy, let us know in the comments. Already run them memes that said late even after a late start. Very subdued first four minutes of the pod. Yes, we had to start late because, uh, as you may see, there are availability issues. And I believe Joey isn't even quite available right at this moment. Joey, is that correct? Yeah, listen, I'm sort of also filing on the A-League women's game that just finished. My updated uh, what was the sports score? press conference. It was 2-2. Adelaide who's, United who's versus scored? Melbourne Victor. Did you not see Catherine Zimmerman's bomb? Didn't right watch up, it at all. It was almost as good as Erin Kunda's. Maybe, you know, on the same par. There you go. There's your match report. File, send, done. No problem. Da, da, da. Yeah, I'm sure AOP will pay me for that. Anyway, good, good luck to uh, everyone. Look, everyone uh, who's... Where, where can they read that match report, Joey? Well, I, anybody, any outlet that has the good sense to subscribe to the Australian Associated Press, the veritable pillar of Australian journalism that it is, really doing the hard yards that nobody else was. Although, I think keep up, subscribe. So let's just say keep up. All right. Well, there you go. You can check it out uh, at keep up. But uh, what we will uh, start the show with is, of course, that Irin Kunda goal that you mentioned. What a goal it was. Uh, beautiful strike. Kind of almost, I, I think uh, Andy Harper in the commentary said it was uh, Cristiano Ronaldo-esque. But the thing with that was Cristiano Ronaldo would have either hit it into another player or smoked it over the bar. So we're going to call it Iran Kunda-esque because that was amazing. Uh, Joey, you were in the stadium. How was was it one of those goals where even like the Victory fans were like, oh, we just saw something special? No, the Victory fans were pretty pissed um, because that's what it was remarkable about the game. Um, I'm not sure if you'd arrived at that point for that, Taron, but it, it was like, it started out with the good vibes, obviously the Pride Cup, um, which we'll get into in a little bit with Taron. But like by the was end of the game, was there an actual cup? By the way, Did there, yeah, there the was cup? for the men's and women's, but we don't know who gets it because both games ended in a draw. Uh, <laughs> it, uh, so I guess it jackpots to next year. Yeah, it jackpots double to the next cups. Year. But what was remarkable about the game, like you saw, it's um, plenty of cups at Mardi Gras last night. I don't know what was in those cups, but. Anyway, oh, someone Lord. else. But like you, you saw it in the clash with Fornaroli and Popovich. A bit of feeling was increasingly getting into the game. Fans were getting angry with each other. It, you know, for all the talk of pride and the good vibes that came with this game, it was still the original rivalry. And it increasingly felt like that towards the end of the game. So, no, Victory fans in this new position, they've got the media in an army park. We're pretty close to where they're all standing over there in that corner. No, Why they were have pretty they moved you? Uh, because they're not allowed behind the goals, Nick. Oh, okay. <laughs> there, there was an incident in December. I'm not sure if you heard of it. 
Yeah, but why'd they move the media? Because there were sanctions in place. They're not allowed to go media? behind the goal. Oh, the media. Oh, no, that's big. They've moved the media because they're renovating the media, the press box for um, the Women's World Cup, and we're not able to use it for the rest of the season. So we're instead in one of these uh, little corporate boxes along the sides here using uh, desks from somewhere as a makeshift tribune. Mm. All right. Well, look, uh, let us know your thoughts in the comments. Uh, so far, it's all, you know, very um, superficial. Uh, Torres says, Joey has David Attenborough hair. I don't, I don't know what. Uh, I've never really seen Joe, uh, David Attenborough with that type of hair. Maybe he means that it should appear in like a nature documentary as a kind of study. Because it, into... it's tied up. I've got it tied up with like a little rainbow headband. Into back, how so humans have evolved. <laughs> Um, but uh, the, there's a, a question coming in uh, from Andrew. What was the deal with the Rado Burger Chat? Uh, I have no <laughs> idea what that's uh, referring to. Joey, can you enlighten? Uh, Rado was late to his press conference the other night because he was eating a burger, so I decided to bust his chops. Okay. Uh, well, you're someone who has, you know, been on this podcast eating a burger, so I feel like it's a bit hypocritical from you. Yes, but I, I, I'm not holding up a... It, exactly. I was on this podcast eating the burger. I didn't hold the podcast up until I'd finished my burger. No, no, no. Uh, that's true. That's true. But anyway, did he eventually answer your questions after he... Uh, he did. I sort over? of uh, used it as a segue into... Segue? Yes. As a segue into... Did you like your t- size performance more or less than the burger? What did he say? Uh, he preferred the burger. Oh, it must have been a good burger because he was all right in that game. No, he just uh, wasn't impressed with his team's first half. Okay. Well, uh, I mean, it does raise an interesting question, which is when do A-League coaches get time to eat? If you think about, you know, if a game takes place at 7.30, do they eat before the game? Probably they're busy with pre-match talks and introductions. So they wait until after a game. That's a pretty late dinner, you know. From what I've experienced with a lot of coaches, their biggest priority after a game is more a dart than food. Okay, well, you know, whatever floats you by, but I feel like darts, you can even sneak one of those at half time. Whereas, like, you know, can, oh, they you, do. can you get a bit of food? Like, like to me, actually, even if I was about to be approached by an a, as an A-League team, and, you know, I say Brisbane Raw was like, Nick, we want you to take over. I'd have to consider when am I going to eat my dinner if all these games are happening kind of in that 7.30 p.m. Uh, time. Taryn, uh, people are complaining that you haven't spoken enough yet. Feel free to just talk over Joey. Uh, no problems with that. Um when do you like to eat your dinner? Well, you know, I'm, I'm actually, I'm quite an early dinner person these days. You know, I used oh, to be really? like a 7.30 and 8, you know, but as I'm entering my old age, um, it is becoming more of a, I'm becoming more of a 6 o'clock dinner person. I don't know. Oh, gross. It's really, Six... you know, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's not. Well, I have lost... Uh the people down in Melbourne. So this is going to be an interesting podcast. No, we're back. Uh, we're back. Oh, we're back. What happened? Did oh, I, I was lose you? Did you lose me? Which, which is great. So I was justifying we, it. We started talking about dinner and Nick's microwave got jealous. Yeah. I was, I was going to say six o'clock dinner, very early Tarrant. Like that's like some like retired, like old people. Like I, I, I don't even like having dinner when the sun is still up. So the six o'clock Your dinner is family. very <laughs> offensive to me. Um, Joseph says, is this a dietitian podcast? It is, 
unless the comments dictate it be something else. I just go with the flow. Someone asked about burgers, and that's where we're going today. Uh, some more comments about Joey's appearance. Joey looks like he's about to sing Psycho Killer on full tilt. Uh, I'm going to have to trust the reference there. Uh, Alex says, City must be playing well if he can afford a buyer at the Etihad. Uh, Shake Your Booty 29, also against the early dinner. 6 p.m. dinner is for uh, grandparents. Uh, so, look, 6 p.m. dinner, controversy. Uh, but, look, let's talk a little bit uh, about the Adelaide United-Melbourne victory game. Victory almost before Irin Kunda's wonder goal. Uh, you know, th- they were almost kind of on track for, I think, it was their third win in a row, which... Not third win in a row. It would have been their third win in four games. Third win in four games. Right. So... so and, you know, we're looking at the tables. And I'm going to be talking about this a bit tonight as well, about how crunched, like how bunched up from second till last, 10 teams are separated by, or 11 teams are separated by 10 points, which this far into the season is pretty amazing and is probably indicative of, you know, where the league is at. And, and maybe this is the ideal of a salary-capped competition you know, where everyone in theory has an even chance. Uh, does it make for a more interesting league? That's another question. Um, does it make for better narratives? And, you know, I mean, there is a feeling now of like anyone can beat anyone except Melbourne <laughs> City, but even Melbourne yeah. City is struggling a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. What are your feelings on victory? Are you seeing a bit of a, a bit of a slide up? I am seeing improvements in performance. It's remarkable that they've taken seven points from their last 12 games, demonstrated improved performances, and they're still last. But there are, I think there are signs of improvement. What struck me today was, uh, again, they had less of the ball. It was 60-40% possession to Adelaide. But for all of Adelaide's control of possession, victory created better chances. They finished the game with a higher XG. They created a higher volume of chances than Adelaide. And what 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 took me watching Melbourne Victory in action today was I was thinking back to watching them earlier in the season and they just looked more comfortable in the final third than they were early in the season. There wasn't panic. There wasn't them trying to force things. They were quite happy to move the ball around and try to find a better option in that final third. They're still a team that operates best when they have less of the ball and can work in transition, but there's just a little bit more clarity, purpose and ideas in the final third, it appears now, than there was at the start of the season. So bearing in mind, they also have Fernando Romero to bring into the side and get him more and more minutes. So as you were saying, Stoll, at this point, the gap between second and last is closer than the gap between first and second. So it is a tight league. And had they won today, they would have been just four points back of the top six with a game in hand. So thanks to this parity, thanks to the fact that their rivals haven't been able to, you know, drive the stake through the heart of their campaign, I think victory are showing signs of improvement. And it's be you can't write them off at this point just because of the nature of the league. Uh, it does set up a very interesting finals race. Uh, so many clubs bunched together and actually could lead to 
a real final day of the season drama to see who gets in the top six because so many clubs could be in contention for that. And previously, I think there's been a lot of talk about, you know, why can't we do it like so many other leagues in the world where all the games are played at the same time on the last day of the season. Uh, but I've, I've spoken to people kind of in TV and they were saying, well, it's difficult from a production standpoint because you have to find, you know, six different crews to work on six different games at once as opposed to having people to work on, you know, a game on the Friday night and the same people can work on a game on a Saturday night, same people can work on a game on a Sunday night, for example. So that could be an issue. We just spend one round doing what's awesome for the fans rather than what works for TV. Well, what's awesome for the fans is that they can watch all the games and that we're covering all the goals coming in. It's not like we have an entire season to plan for or anything. No, but, you know, you just got to be realistic about these things. And also the fact that the uh, your ratings actually, as much as people get excited by it, it actually isn't great for the ratings because instead of getting a nice bunch of numbers across the five, six games, you're only it's all condensed into one because people aren't going to watch all the six games across the weekend as they might do, uh, I think. But, look, it would be interesting to see what they do this year. Um, maybe they can call it a festival of football. Who knows? Um, but uh, victory, Adelaide, uh, any final thoughts on this? I'll just say there was one moment uh, in the second half that I really loved. And, and every now and again, there's just moments in football that I'm just really excited for and really happy for. Uh, Jason Guerrier playing a one-two kind of on the edge of the box oh, and then nice. hitting the bar. There's just like such a, you know, I know Guerrier's kind of playing as, as like a right back, but I always think of Guerrier more of as like a... a He's not a, you know, marauding right fullback who, who is always kind of getting in the attack. That He's more of a defensive minor player. And there's something about whenever you see a, kind of like a center back or something, just get into the box with the ball at their feet. There's almost something funny about that moment. And there's something chaotic about this. Like everyone in the crowd is like, how has he gotten there with a ball at his feet? Uh, unfortunately, he smashed against the crossbar, but... There were just the moment of chaos was really in the in the Make Australian Football Fun Society. Irin Kunda's goal was the number one thing of the week, but that Jason Garrier moment was a really really enjoyable moment. Well, no, number one A, one B being Catherine Zimmerman's goal, but as we've already talked about. But not to make a serious point of your uh, anecdote stole, but that probably is indicative of the comfort levels and confidence that Victory are beginning to grow in the final third. In the case that you have, you know not this is going to sound a bit more insulting than it actually is but even Jason Guerrier is playing one twos and launching balls into the crossbar so mm. like when that's happening you can tell the vibes are pretty good um or at least there's a level of confidence there amongst the squad which there certainly hasn't been there's been not to you know bastardize their own catchphrase but they at times throughout the season they look like a real lack of ticker uh, mm. amongst Melbourne Victory's players but you didn't see that today yeah, and uh, it was actually interesting to see Bruce Kamau uh, come onto the field late for victory. He got just, booed by the Adelaide fans and the victory fans when he came on. Why did he get booed by the victory fans? Because he's ex-City. I don't know. He's ex-City, he's ex-Adelaide. Maybe they didn't think they needed him. <laughs> Bit harsh. He's only been at the club eight minutes and they're, you know, booing him. I, I just thought it was an interesting moment because Bruce Kamau was once the young exciting attacker at Adelaide United, much like Irin Kunder is now. And, you know, Irin Kunder is younger than Kamau kind of was, I think, when he broke through. And there are different kind of – they've got a different set of skills for sure. And maybe Irin Kunder's ceiling is higher. But there is also a bit of a cautionary tale there as well, which it, 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 to look at and think, 
we get excited about these young players. Of course, Kamau scored, I remember, in a grand final for Adelaide. And, you know, it really felt like, oh, yeah, this kid's amazing. And now he's getting booed by both sets of fans uh, as he comes onto the pitch at kind of 23. So is it, it's an interesting kind of little A-League story just there. Um, but any, any final thoughts on uh, victory Adelaide for you guys? In the men's game? Um, no, it was a good day. Um, crowd seemed into it. Yeah, it was probably day went uh, as well as it probably could have, I reckon. Good day. Good Excellent. Job. Good. Oh good no, day. sorry. Good what did I say? Uh, Carl Viet had a moan about the VAR again. Doesn't think that uh, Melbourne Victory's penalty was a penalty. Um, says that we are uh, should never have been reviewed. We're re-refereeing the games, and um, also one interesting point actually that was a bit new after we had the greatest hits of coaches complaining about the VAR was that he said some of the blame lies on the players um, for. Uh, hamming it up and trying to milk the VAR and trying to induce the VAR referee to get involved by emphasising contact and looking uh, to be dramatic with things. And players bore some responsibility for that, which was a new tact. I haven't heard that from any coach yet. Interesting. Uh, what else do you want to talk about? Well... We should. We got Taryn here, so we can also. We might as well just do the double header today as well as the pride, because Taryn does have to get home at some point. Taryn has people that love her and care about her and wonder where she is on a Sunday night. So, um, but yeah, as I said, Taryn, Melbourne Victory two, Adelaide United two in the A League Women's. Um, Adrian Stenser post game pretty much admitting that Adelaide United's finals hopes are pretty much extinguished. Um, at this point, realistically, mathematically, they're still away in. They've got Canberra and Perth across their next two games. So they would know something changes, but did feel that way, that their finals hopes were ended. Although victory now, I mean, all of a sudden, they're falling right back towards the pack, aren't they? Victory are such an interesting side in, in the dub because I've always felt like they're, you know, a, a lot of games this season, they were sort of hauled. I mean, the last time that Victory played Adelaide, uh, the reason why they won that game essentially was Alex Chidiak. Um, and now without her there, it's, it's you know, they were already, uh, especially with the losses of Melina Ayres and, and Kath Zimmerman earlier in the season, they were looking shaky on the goal front. Uh, this time around, they had both of those players starting and both of those players made an enormous impact. But... Yeah, they're certainly, it's, they're just, they're not the complete package, Melbourne Victory. And that's why they, they still don't look the complete side. They don't look a certainty to make finals uh, whatsoever. There are teams coming up behind them, uh, like Canberra, like Perth, who are looking in much better form. And yeah, it'll be really interesting to see sort of where their season goes from here. Because I think that, you know, today today was an example of it where, you know, you can you can see it's 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 ninety percent there. The second goal in particular was a, a bit of a defensive howler, and it's it's those sorts of mistakes that they consistently make throughout the season. But that was the same the last two seasons, and they finished champions after finishing fourth. So you know, maybe there'll be there'll be a repeat, and you know, we'll, we'll be here sort of mid season towards the end of the season, going, oh, they don't look too good, and then they they spring something out of nothing again. But um, yeah, it's it's they're, they're they're an interesting side to watch now for sure. It was really interesting watching the game as well. I know it's cliche to 
every time a player talks about, you know, has a good game. Oh, Matilda's welcome. And at this point, it, it's certainly in the Matilda's attack, um, it's so settled that nobody else who's not already getting called up and getting caps is, you know, going to break in at this point before the Women's World Cup. However, Beatty Goad was exceptional yes. today on the wing. And Beatty Goad is a player that has had a lot of fans for quite a while because she did disappear off the radar for a little while, going over to the US and going playing college ball. She sort of disappeared off all but the hardcore fans, but she remains a really good player. And I think Beatty Goad, especially her versatility as well, she can play a variety of positions. Beatty Goad is the type of player um, who I think heading into Paris 2024, that's the type of player that we're looking at um, as stepping up in the inevitable generational change that is going to take place amongst, well, generational change that it should inevitably be taking place in the Matildas following the Women's World Cup and the commencement of a new cycle, as well as playing it's like Melina Reyes, who was so good at the start of the season and then picked up a yet another hamstring injury. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out if she meant her opening goal today or if it was a cross that just sort of got away from her and Annalie Grove put it in a net. But she's another one of these players that if she can get fit at, and start banging in the goals again, it's not going to replace the hole that Chidiak leaves because they're completely different players. But in terms of production-wise, in terms of Chidiak's absence leaves you a deficit of three goals, Ayers can get you those three goals in a different way. Yeah. So I think that's, you know, the money ball theory. So that's going to be something to watch moving forward. I still think, like, Western with their 6 to win today, Sydney FC both absolutely playing finals. City win one more game, City absolutely playing finals. Yeah. Still think victory, a bit shaky, and I think if anybody's going to chase them down, it's Perth. I think City, the difference is, right, City have Rojas and McNamara to come back. Um, obviously, we don't know how Holly McNamara is is going to be. Like we've seen her play forty five minutes um, in a in a friendly, but she hasn't made it back yet um, into competitive football. As Nick Stoll walks off the screen, <laughs> um, <Hi, Freya. laughs> um, yeah. I mean, we were talking about it just before Joey about you know Beatty Goad and and Melina Ayres and. You know, imagine imagine if you could like smoosh those two players together, because they're not neither of them are the complete player. Um, I think we saw Beatty go today, and and it was it was it was it was almost frustrating at times because she she was consistently in the right place, she was consistently intercepting, she was consistently pressing. Um, you know, she she was doing all of these right things, and then wouldn't pull the trigger, and you're like. Beatrice, like pull the trigger, Beatrice. like shoot. Beatrice. <laughs> Beatrice, like you know, full naming her at this point. Um, there was another time where she was free as a bird on the back post, and I was I was uh, behind the goals at that point where this action happened, and I'd have to see a replay to confirm this, but I didn't see her call for the ball. She was free, and she didn't, you know, put her arms up and call for the ball. And it's, you know, I like I don't know what that what that is like it's it's like a, like a bit of gumption a bit of like oomph but she just if, if she can somehow capture that I think she becomes a, a much more complete player because everything else is there and then you compare her to someone like Molina Ayres who in some ways is, is limited but 
is just a goal scorer, just knows how to score goals, um, you know, is, is a very physical player, knows how to, to win the ball in those situations. So, yeah, it's uh, – I, I – I, th- I do tell you what, though, in terms of Matilda's chat, BD Goad could really fill a hole, but I think the opportunities for that to happen are are very limited at this point. As we see, uh, our friend Shen Henry, spot on as per shout out to Goad for being uh, one of the few promising parts of those early 2021 friendlies at the start of TG's tenure and then disappearing. Um, and then on that, Tim Scott in the comments on YouTube, off topic, but I saw Tony Gustafsson at Byron Bay today while I was running a line, top bloke. Stoll, you live in New South Wales. What was Tony G doing at Byron Bay? You're on mute. Stoll, you're on mute. <laughs> uh, sorry about that. Uh, not sure what uh, Tony G uh, was doing uh, in Byron Bay, but I'm sure his shoes were looking mad. Um, that's the <laughs> important thing. Um yeah, well, very good stuff. Anything else you guys wanted to discuss? Well, I think it was Pride today. So whilst we have Taryn here, um, should probably discuss that. I mean, you were at Mardi Gras, you said, last night, Stoll. I've never actually been to the Mardi Gras parade. Um, I don't know. Were they, was the A-League's Pride rounds the talk of the town at Mardi Gras? I don't think anyone knew it was happening <laughs> at all. Uh <laughs> I did not hear one. I saw actually, I saw a couple of football jerseys. Um, some Brazilians were dressed in a pink Flamengo jersey. Uh, I don't know uh, what that was, but no, uh, didn't make waves up here in Sydney. Well, I mean, it does, to be honest, well, I'll defer to you, Taryn. Somebody as, who's a member of the community who's observed this pride rounds has observed the like football's relationship with the community in recent years. What, I guess first, what did you make of the A-League's pride rounds more broadly before we get, get into the why? Yeah. I mean, I think I, I'm, I'm the first to be often really cynical about these things. I mean, I'll, I'll say that off the bat, um, that this was implemented in a way that was really, was was genuinely the way that you implement these things. I was uh, education programs for, uh, I think, 18 months prior um, to, yeah. to this event for Adelaide and Victory. And I know that uh, staff and players throughout the league, men's and women's, um, were, were given education and, and were talked to about it. And that's, that's the most important thing because I think a lot of the time um, having discussions with, with a lot of people, the, you know, the majority of people uh, want to do the right thing, right? And the majority of people uh, mean well and, and want the environment to be an inclusive environment. But when they when they come up against something that's not, or something that that is, you know, that that is that is bigoted, and in this case, that is, you know, homophobic language, people people don't know how to respond often, or people don't know how to make it an inclusive environment. And I think that those education programs are super, you know, are, are, are the crux of of changing a culture. Because it means that that you know the vast majority of, of us uh, in the men's and women's game who are you know good people that want to make uh, an environment a safe and inclusive place for everyone um, have the tools in order to do that. And so when we do have a pride round like this, um, the the players and the staff are able to advocate um, in a way that that is you know in a way that that can create these spaces. And I think that's been. 
that's been really fantastic. Um, obviously, I think that the uneven nature maybe of, of, of the games and the way that it's been implemented by different clubs is, is maybe a little bit disappointing. You know, that there are certain clubs that, you know, you, it would have been great to see, um, I guess, a, a, you know, for example, um, you know, or different, you know, every club having a having the chance to have a pride kit or every club having the chance to, to do something. And, I, like, I know there are logistical issues involved in that. Um, I think that, that will be something targeted next year. I think that was delayed this year because you said the logistical issues because they wanted to do the education yeah. with all the playing groups before. Like, I was told multiple times, threatens life and limb, do not report this beforehand because we haven't done the educational programs yet. Because yeah. they really didn't want the narrative to get out there and to spoil it and for like a Manly 7 situation to yeah. arise before they'd had a chance to speak to the club. So I think you can't exactly be putting orders with Macron or Umbro or something like that for pride <laughs> kits before you've actually spoken to the players. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, yeah, I, as I said, I think that that's, that's been the most pleasing part about it is, is that aspect. And, you know, you know that it's going to lay the foundation for, 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 for initiatives and things to continue into the future, which is really great. And like I'm, I'm not going to add anything to like that. I think Taryn said it more. But the other thing, obviously, you, you see in the comments sections and all these sort of things. Why are this needed? Why do we, you know, when Josh comes out, why are we celebrating this? Yada yada yada. For you, Taryn, why is pride important? Yeah, I mean, it's a big question. <laughs> I think in in football and it's. It is very often seen as an unsafe environment for, for for the queer community, and you know I know I have I have friends and people very close to me that still you know refuse to go to a men's game because they feel like they're not welcome because they feel like they they can't go and uh, you know in issues like this there would have been people today that that went to their first game genuinely yeah. there would have been people today who had never been to to any game of football or maybe had never been to to a men's game who've gone for the first time and feel safe and welcome and and you know at the very beginning of the podcast joey you said that you know yes it started off as good vibes and pride and then it was an original rivalry but that's great like that's that's exactly how it should be you should be able to to go to a football game and like yell at opposition fans and get riled up at the ref all the things that you do as a fan um and feel safe doing so being who you are you know as a as a person you know so that's that's really wonderful and I, i think that's you know that's kind of step one but you know i guess it, it's not I think we have this this idea you know we can forget the past so quickly you know I, I'm 26 years old and uh, yeah, so you have I. dinner at 6 p.m <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah okay but you know like you should, I'm, be, I'm, you I'm should be waking up at 6 p.m oh <laughs> shut up stole <laughs> I'm old let me be um old soul. but already like just in my just in the last few years there's been an enormous change and we forget that you know, like I, I remember growing up in in and, and we, we we think of women's sport in particular as a as an especially safe space and and you know well it's all good we don't really need it in the women's game and surely it's you know like dressing rooms growing up was some of the you know some of the hardest experiences I had growing up um, and and some of the places where I felt the least safe because you know you you were terrified of of stereotypes you were terrified of you know I, like I, I grew up playing cricket. And I remember it was, there were like no out female cricketers, despite the fact that everyone, you know, you kind of knew, but no one was out. No one spoke about it. It was completely silent. Everyone, you were just silent about it. 
you were it was frowned upon if you were out because that just wasn't the thing that you did um when i first got involved in in women's football like as a you know very intently um you know played all my life but but sort of got very intently involved a few years ago there was yeah, there was jets. several yeah, out the jetties yeah, but you know jets. there was there was several players who who you know you had you'd sort of look at their instagrams and go oh something's out here but they they, they, they would never be public about being out they'd never show pride they'd never because it was still so there was still such a stigma attached and you know in a lot of cases there still is and i think that and when we're talking about pride there like we're not talking about them like posting pictures at mardi gras or anything we're talking about pride that we're talking about like they weren't posting pictures just with their partners yeah like like i will post pictures in a relationship with a woman i will post pictures with my partner and not think anything of it yes like that wasn't happening it's not like we're not talking about like this. It's the things people take for granted. Absolutely, it's it's being able to, yeah. You know, when when I talk about pride, yeah. I mean, sure, go, go to Mardi Gras and have fun, dress however you want. Like that's awesome. But I think just those simple things, like yeah, being able to say, you know, this is my partner. Hey, first anniversary Instagram post. Yeah. You know, like those sorts of things. For so long, people have have felt that they can't do that, and I think for football to to create a space where that is okay, where, you know, kids coming through now have people they can look up to and go, oh, like, you know, she's, or, or he, or, you know, like for, for, for young boys as well, you know, obviously I'm speaking to my experience, but that's that's huge. If you're a teenage boy playing football and and you're like, oh, God, you know, I might, um, you know, uh, discovering your sexuality, you can look at someone like Josh Cavallo and go, oh, this is actually possible. This isn't something I have to be ashamed of. And it's it's combating those feelings of shame. It's incredibly powerful, and it's an experience. It's difficult to kind of put that into words, but it is it is incredibly powerful, and it's something that you know I'm. It was it was lovely coming out here today, and and um, while I missed the men's game, uh, becoming an accredited C licensed coach, um, it was it was lovely to to come and see the see the rainbow and and to see the the celebrations. It was it was really nice. Good job, everyone. Uh, all right. Uh, is there anything else uh, to discuss from today's thing? Or should we move on to... I mean, the thing I really want to talk about is the alleged incident between Ruben Zadkovic and uh, a Perth Glory player. Now, Taryn, you're, you're doing your C-licensed coaching. That's pretty interesting. You say, <laughs> is there any kind of part of the license that says, mm. like, probably don't punch a player during a, a training session. I don't know where that is in the license, but you would think like, that's a given. Like, I don't think that I, needs to be communicated. Mm, like, this like, is why they have warning that. signs. <laughs> it's why they say like, don't drink bleach because some people uh, they need to know. Maybe, now, maybe look, it's a B license. You know, maybe it's a more advanced thing. Don't punch your players. You know, you need to get to the B to the yeah. A and then you, you yeah. Maybe, well, maybe it's more advanced. So like at the B license, it's like basic Kung Fu. And then it's a low. It's like, it's like martial arts badges. Yeah. yeah, that's why they Although, charge uh, so much. Maybe with the C license, maybe you do have to learn how to punch your player, and then by the B and the A, you kind of like, all right, we can't do that anymore. You're not, you're not allowed to use that kind of cheat. But look, uh, for what it's worth, Ruben Zadkovich did deny that he punched uh, Coley. Uh, the, you know, he said like it was just a kind of normal incident. He said uh, I think one of the other players had gotten injured in the five side, so he jumped in, and then there was a tangle of legs, and there was a collision. And there was nothing more. And and but what I what I like about this story that's come out is that 
you know, the PFA is investigating. And that to me is really exciting because it means we might have a show called Law and Order PFA. Dun, dun. And then, you know, the, how did that Law and Order always start? These are the stories of blah, blah, blah. These are the stories of A-League players. So which one? Because there's three. I have been watching Law and Order SVU. So yeah, so Law remember how SVU Law and Order SVU York, always start? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like... Anyway, in Europe, the sex based, sexually based defenses are con- no, sexually based defenses are considered especially heinous. In New York City, the dedicated detectives who investigate these vicious felonies are members of an elite squad known as the Special Victims Unit. All these right, are so, their stories. Dun dun. But we go to we cut to PFA, right? And it, and it's, oh, so it's like two- in the A leagues. Coaching incidents are considered especially heinous. Exactly. In Australian football, the the dedicated unionists who investigate these vicious events are members of an elite squad known as the Professional Footballers Australia. These are their stories. And then here's what I like about it is like one of the great things about SVU was uh, Detective uh, Elliot Stabler and Detective Olivia 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 Benson. Benson, Right? Those two together, right? And Finn Tutuola and and Munch. died yeah the, uh, r.i.p oh. right anyway but uh so it could be like kate gill and bo bush the two co-chairs of the pfa and they're like these hard-boiled detectives and they go into clubs and they're like all right zadkovich and they play like good cop bad, bad cop with zadkovich and they get him in there and they try and see if he'll break after 24 hours and then there's a bit of a complication and it all gets resolved after 48 minutes and you know look the a-league is on channel 10 so therefore, Law and Order has always been on Channel Ten. And this is the perfect synergy. Let's make this happen. I think Law and Order PFA, and every week they can investigate. They can investigate. You know what happened at Macarthur uh, regarding Dwight York. Although I don't know, maybe that's maybe that's a spinoff for Law and Order uh, the Football Coaches Union or whatever that one is. Uh, they can investigate kind of what what's going on at all the A League clubs. I think that would be a very great shot. Uh, so look, another wonderful idea from me. But what do you guys think? Would you watch uh, Law and Order PFA? Oh, this is the I'm leaving. No, <laughs> this, is, this is where I'm taking my leave. That's good. Absolutely not. Um, I'm, I'm going home to people people who love me uh, and who don't talk about Law and Order PFA. It's nine ten. She's three hours late for dinner. <laughs> three hours late. I've got to go. Well, I was just I was just gonna say, do these people are these people worried that you haven't eaten dinner three hours past your bedtime? You're I- so crestfallen. You went with this wonderful like Laura and Order PFA. I'm like, no, no, I'm not having that. I need to, I need to go have my dinner. But you still got yeah. me still. Yep. Uh, well, yes, and the comments. Uh, let's have a look at some of these comments. Uh, Law and Order PFA detectives discover the Sydney FC conspiracy. Yes, it would be amazing. They'd have to investigate the media, of course, because the media oh. uh, is biased to think. Uh, forget Law and Order. Everyone remember Lie to Me with Tim Roth. Great show. I like I like oh, people that was awesome. just suggesting. Just tell us your great shows. Tell us whatever. Uh, is this TNC Law and Order? Uh, potentially. Uh, but Law and Order goes for a nice, crisp 48 minutes. Uh, whereas TNC would be lucky to go for such a short time. Uh, Law and Order, Shaky Booty 29 says, Law and Order TNC investigates the disappearance of Ante. That's more of a um, X-Files, isn't it? X-Files TNC, TNC files. Uh, look, I-, I think it's a good idea, but we do believe that Ben Smith will come on this podcast later to, to tell us what's going on. Because on a very serious kind of note, if a coach punches a player, then that coach should obviously be fired. Like if that is what happened, that's a pretty I mean, insane thing, right? Now the fact that Perth Glory, uh, the, the fact that Perth Glory are standing by him, either says to me two things. It either says to me that 
you know, they spoke to everyone. They, you know, they saw what happened. It wasn't that big a deal. It wasn't an actual punch or whatever it was. And it, whatever Zadkovich's events are true. That's the best case scenario is that it is overblown and da-da-da. The worst case scenario is that you just made it okay for people to punch each other at work. Like, that's going to get weird because suddenly can, like, Tony Sage come through and just, like, haymaker, you know, Ruben Zadkovich for not winning today. Uh, you know, <laughs> a player's going to come off the pitch and they're just going to get uppercuts, you know. Like, what, what's going to go on at Perk So I just say that I hope that um, Ruben Zadkovich's events are truthful, uh, but... If, yeah, I just couldn't fathom how a coach could punch a player and keep his job. It just would set a very weird precedence, I would imagine. Well, although it would undoubted. make for a fascinating access all areas episode. He's already had one of those, um, but it undoubtedly, you know, has to be said to have had a destabilizing effect earlier today. Brisbane Raw defeating Perth Glory two goals to one. I obviously couldn't watch that game because I was out here at Amy Park. But, I mean, Brisbane haven't won a lot of football games as of late. Um, and now all I of mean, a sudden this breaks and then... Perth aren't exactly uh, flying. But that's... Yeah, they're not that's exactly flying. Maybe, because, not <laughs> maybe because the motivational techniques aren't quite working uh, down at Perth Glory training. Well, but, I mean, and not only that, they've come from behind to win 2-1. And it was interesting, you know, looking at Zadkovic's comments, Zadkovic hinting at people either inside or outside the camp deliberately trying to destabilise Perth glory, um, which, you know, is it's interesting. It leaks it have always happened. To the teeth? <sighs> but, like, leaks have always happened at clubs and, you know, people do stuff to try to um further their own interests but to have a coach outright come out and say that i think is interesting because we already have had reports out of perth glory once this season that there's been training ground bust-ups and players have been dropped as a result of that other players have disappeared out of the lineup some players have never appeared in the lineup it's it's what is actually going on at perth glory you know feels really interesting because we've had all the good vibes you know, surrounding Fortress Macedonia Park, selling that out. It's like a return to Perth Oval or, you know, chicken treat is back, yada, yada. But then all of a sudden this happens. It almost feels like Perth Glory can't really have nice things, can they? Just when something's going a bit good for them, this comes out and destabilizes them. So we'll chat to Ben about that and the game more. But yeah, as funny as it is, it could have potential serious effects on Perth Glory if if these leaks continue and we already see more destabilizing things, I saw one tweet today that was hastily deleted, um, you know, saying that this is continuing and all of that sort of stuff. So what's next is the question. What do you mean this is continuing? The punching? Well, uh, just that the investigation was continuing and that oh. footage had been mm. lost. And that tweet was oh, then, yeah. And, the was, yeah, and that tweet was then that. deleted. Yeah, so, so I'm like, basically... There was an accusation that training footage or something had been deleted. Uh, and which then, again, and the PFA was still investigating. So and then the tweet got deleted. In the in the law and order kind of like that's your classic like. So the first ten minutes of the thing, you kind of they set you up to uh, the red herring. They give you a little bit of a like this person is a perpetrator. Is what's actually going to happen? We all think it was Ruben Zadkovich, but it's going to turn out that it was like Tony Sage or someone else, like or Colin Punch Zadkovich. 
Yeah, or something like that. Or the reason he punched him was because, like, actually, Perth Glory is becoming an MMA team or something like this, right? Like, you got to have a nice kind of twist in the third act that really makes you go, oh, I didn't pick that one. Because so just if that story keeps going, I think there's going to be more twists uh, in that. Um, but, you know, just very quickly on the game, um, Good win for Brisbane, important win for Brisbane. Uh, obviously, comes after Warren Moon got sacked. Um, so, you know, it's good for them to get the win. Obviously, against the Perth team that wasn't very good. Um, and rough for Perth to see uh, Daryl Latchman uh, go off uh, with what appeared to be like a kind of head injury uh, towards the end. The, the, hospital, the ambulance had to come onto the field. Um, and he was taken away an ambulance. So, I don't know what, I don't know what happened there. Maybe. Uh, what, what do you make of Nick Green's appointment? It's a bit of an on one. I mean, look, I'll be honest with you. I don't know what's going on at Brisbane. Uh, 99 problems, but now a coach appointment isn't one. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the situation is there. Um, Bloke was coaching in him. private academies. Wasn't even look, senior NPL coach since 2020. 100% record uh, so far. I don't know. Look, I'll see how he goes. I, I don't know anything about him. And people up in Brisbane can uh, tell us, like, who. Kind of, but what I think is interesting now is that the A League has definitely transitioned from we're not really bringing in international coaches anymore like remember for a while it was like half the league was international coaches and there was australian coaches were kind of complaining about their lack of opportunities it doesn't really feel, it feels like you know dwight york kind of the last international coach or the last big international coach and you know that experience hasn't gone well for him uh and i don't feel too many will be coming in the near future both because they're expensive and also because, I don't know, it doesn't seem like too many of them have come here and had a good experience. So, you know, I mean, look. It's good. Well, it's just two that have ever won the league, isn't it? Guillaume uh, Warren in season one. No, Levitschka won the league with Sydney FC in 2010. Oh, no. Uh, no, the championship I'm talking about. Oh, did he win the championship as well? Uh, yeah, because I think Aloisi scored on the last day of the season, that stunning goal where he smacked it kind of top corner. I don't know. Let us know. I believe it's more. So, Guillermoore won uh, the championship. Uh, Levichka won the championship. Lipbarski won the championship. Um, who was old mate from Melbourne City with the glasses? Eric Mombat didn't win the championship. He lost yeah. in the grand final. Yeah, but Steve he set Carrico. up that. He's, he set up that team so they'd win the league. All right. You well, know, maybe, I, maybe is that the, is that the market inefficiency? Uh, foreign technical directors, potentially. Um, look, whatever. Brisbane and Perth. You know what I like about uh, what you where you are right now? I can hear seagulls in the background. They don't just come when there are games happening. I can actually hear the seagulls in uh, the background. Uh, Torres is making the point. Um, he was a youth coach at Hartlepool. Isn't that enough? I don't know, Torres. Good point. Maybe, maybe that is enough. Uh, and Warren Joyce was a youth coach for Man United. Look how that that's true. Uh, Happy Carrot says he's ones. If you put all A League men's coaches in the ring together to fight each other, who would be last man standing? I mean, that does sound like more like a wrestling thing. I don't really understand how last man. Standing so if was. we were to have they a, all uh, together, a face of the revolution ladder match, watch AEW okay. on ESPN. Um, see, people talk about this though, and they're always like tipping. Like guys like Rudin and Popovich, those guys are still carrying like injuries from their playing career. Mm. You got to take that all that stuff into account. Like you know, like who's lithe enough to win a match, not just who's the biggest bloke. It's true. Look, I don't know. Let us know uh, who you think would win in a fight. Uh, I mean, like 
I don't know. I feel like it would be whoever's the most tactically savvy. Because I reckon you just... I know you never had this experience, Joey, but basically at Greek Easter, you get these like red eggs, which you have to like smash onto everyone else. Now, it, it is last man standing or last woman standing uh, to see who wins. Now, the best tactic that you can do is to avoid get, getting your egg in fights, basically. Let everyone else crack against a few other people. Just try and avoid it for as long as you can. You've probably got, a, got 30 seconds. Just no, no, no. Just wait and wait and wait. And then you just kind of, the last person, you just get a 50-50 shot and, and kind of crack it in the thing. So, I don't know. But um, I think we should welcome, you know, as we talk about uh, Perth Glory, uh, Ben Smith to the pod. Ben, how are you, my friend? Hello, Nick. Hello, Joey. How are you do, doing tonight? Very good. Uh, so, the question has been raised. Uh, if all A-League men's coaches got into a ring, who would uh, win in a fight, in a last man standing fight? Uh, I, I kind of said whoever was most tactically savvy and would stay out of trouble. Uh, I don't think, like, full prone aggression would win. Uh, potentially, John Aloisi, one of the nicest guys in Australian football. Maybe but he's they got a heart condition. But he's got a heart oh, condition. That, so. is, that is true. That is true. Well, let's be honest. Probably Zadkovich. <laughs> or Carl Vitt could I feel like Carl Vitt might go berserker mode. Like seeing that uh, that cut up of him, like I fuck, fuck on the sideline. I I think the problem with that is that he would he'd get too angry too early and he'd waste his energy. So I I think that would be his kind of issue. I mean, look, we don't know this new Brisbane Royal coach. He might be. I mean, I mean Montgomery you know, was a pretty hard man as a player. That's true. Yeah, Montgomery's a good shout, actually. That's a, mm, that's a good one. He's young as well. I like it. Uh, ben, any comments? Or uh, legally, could this get you in trouble? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I don't know who would win in a fight because at least nine of them would just sit back and wait for someone else to throw a punch before Ben tried <laughs> to try throw a counter. So, like, I don't know. It's a good, oh, it's a God. very, it's a very good point. Uh, so Shaky Booty reckons Graham Arnold would beat everyone up and leave and Corey would walk in, kick one point and take all the credit for the next thing seasons. <laughs> Outstanding. <laughs> Outstanding. I mean, a little harsh, a little harsh on Bimby, but it's a, it's a very good, it's a very good point. But um, like, Ben, legit, no, what, what happened at Perth? Yeah, Ben, explain. Uh, it was a normal day in uh, the history of Perth Glory Football Club. Is what happened. Uh, you are, you guys is, are the best uh, banter club of the A League. <laughs> this is, as uh, Jose Mourinho would say, this is football heritage, or as Ruben Zakovic <laughs> said earlier this season, this is A League football. Uh, so, yeah, it was obviously, I think we all saw the rumors on, um, I believe it was Thursday, um, that there was an A League coach who had allegedly. Uh, attacked a player or had been involved in an altercation with a player. Yeah, and everyone and thought then, it was uh, rude. You... And everyone should <laughs> egg on their face, all right? Because everyone went a little too early with the, it's rude. It was rude for sure. Da, da, da. Boom. Yeah, well, um, yeah, then obviously, uh, you know, word got around among, uh, you know, journalists. Uh, you know, Vince Regari, I think, was the first to uh, to break the news that it was Zakovic who was the coach in question at the uh, you know at the centre of the alleged altercation, and the player was was uh, Giordano Colli, uh, and uh, it was on Friday, uh, you know, well, rather on Thursday night, the club came out and said that they'd spoken to Colli, they'd spoken to Zakovic, 
they were satisfied that it was a you know storm in a teacup. It had been blown out of proportion. Uh, and then Zakovic fronted the media. Um, and sorry, on this incident Friday was meant morning. to have happened months ago, right? Like, it wasn't happened this week. No, I right? no, it happened this week, Tuesday oh, it morning. This I, week, ah, yes. Okay. All right, all right. I thought this it happened months ago, and it so all been cleaned it, up. The incident which sparked the fire was uh, happened, I believe, it was Tuesday training. Uh, Zach Duncan hurt his knee during a 5v5, so Ruben Zadkovic decided he was going to slot in, um, and Zadkovic said he collided with Collie. And uh, there was, yeah, and from that, it's turned into Zadkovic uh, was involved in an altercation with Collie, uh, where, you know, I believe there was an allegation that he threw a punch at Collie. Um, you know, Zadkovic has, the, the club have said there was no, uh, complaint internally uh the pfa have told me uh yesterday that they are not investigating uh the case any further they are satisfied with the club's explanation that it was a you know it was an incident that was blown out of proportion i did see stuff on twitter circulating today which said the pfa are still investigating i can tell you that is not the case i spoke to the pfa yesterday they said they're satisfied with the club's explanation uh, well, just on this, and, I yeah, you know, the earlier part of the show, but basically, uh, I pitched a show uh, to the world, which was Law and Order PFA. And uh, look, I, I think just from the PFA's perspective, if you want this show to be successful, you need to have a bit more interesting resolutions than like I never watched an episode of Law and Order SVU where you know Stabler and Olivia were they finished the episode by just asking someone, did you do it? And they were like, no. And then it was like, all right, nothing to see here. And then, you know, executive <laughs> produced by Dick Wolf. That's not, that's not how these script writers need to work on that, but that's okay. That's okay. We're, we're writers. We'll teach them how to do it. But it's interesting that that's come to that resolution. So it's your understanding that it wasn't, like he, he hasn't just like punched, Zadkovich hasn't punched a player. It was more like you just, you training ground, thing that happens the yeah i mean look the incident in question zakovich was asked at his press conference on friday did you punch collie and he said no that didn't happen uh i i asked zakovich as well uh whether that whether training was filmed during the incident in question oh. zakovich said he was not aware he, he said that part of a session was not filmed on camera. Uh, he said they filmed, you know, if it's a tactical session, they'll film the entire session. He said yeah. the session in question on Tuesday wasn't a tactical session. Uh, the, you know, incident happened in a 5v5 uh, and that 5v5 drill was not filmed on camera. So as far as I mean, that's... Fair, why would you a, need a film 5v5 drills? There's, there's not much you want to garner from filming 5v5s except obviously who did Zadkovich punch that would no, I'm just kidding he's denied it it's all good well, who's uh, who's TNC's legal uh, counsel by the way um Ante uh Ante <laughs> is and now he's on an alien spaceship so unlucky but well I, I had a question you'll be uh, representing yourself in court <laughs> I, I had a question but like it's from some of Ruben's remarks it felt like he insinuated that this was a deliberate effort to destabilize the club um and there was someone be it internally or externally throwing grenades into the camp 
for, I guess two-parter. We've seen today that they lost to Brisbane Raw, a Brisbane Raw team that doesn't win a lot of games. How destabilising do you think this has been for the club? And do you think somebody actually is out to get Ruben? Well, it's interesting because if you remember earlier in the season, um, before a game, there was, you know, pre-game rumblings that Mark Beavers and Ryan Williams had fallen out with uh, with Ruben Zadkovic. Uh, Glory won that game and Zadkovic said after the game when he was asked about it uh, that he thought someone was having a lend of the, of the media and that they were kind of a... Uh, there was a rumour circulating that we was completely said that be- at the time that Beavers Williams were leading in. So it's not, a, this is the first instance that there's, where there's been, you know, what a disgruntlement within the changing rooms at Perth Glory. Um, and one thing I've noticed with Ruben throughout this season is he's very, he's very big on creating a siege mentality, you know, you know, he talks about no one believes in adversity for this season with the ske- with a schedule. Pretty much, um, but he, I mean, he did point out that you know they played a lot of away games at the start of the season, which you know that was adversity. And then when they finally got home games, there was like four in like thirteen games, thirteen days or something. So that was some adversity. He's very good at picking things to you know at least just I don't know if he repeats it within the walls of the you know of glory hq but at least to the press he talks a lot about the club overcoming adversity and this felt like another chance for him to you know build that further build that siege mentality it obviously didn't work this weekend i thought they were pretty poor against brisbane um after taking the lead uh it was a really disappointing performance and uh yeah especially against the brisbane side who hadn't won in almost two months look well, i mean what i'd say as well is that a if anyone was trying to destabilize the club I mean, why would you? It's already pretty destabilized. Like, it's not like this club is flying, winning championships. You know, it's, oh, they've won four Asian Champions League in a row. We need to take them down a peg. And second, you know, a lot of that adversity he's talking about is kind of a bit, you know, self-inflicted by the club and like the way that it's been run over the years. So, yeah, you know, no, no, is... nobody, nobody made the club try to talk to uh, the London Football Exchange. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, that was a destabilising effort um, by the old I think I think Perth, Perth Glory watched that Game of Thrones episode where Littlefinger said chaos is a ladder and they were like, <laughs> we're going to climb that ladder, but then they got stuck on, stuck on the third rung and have been there ever since. <laughs> uh yeah it, it is an interesting time uh look uh ben what else do you want to talk about we've got you on the show uh i have to go in the next uh couple of minutes so i'll take over uh yeah i, I don't really know how i'm gonna wrap uh my part of the show but uh i guess just say very very quickly uh oh we you, we forgot to say two things one great to see paul Izzo, uh h to the Izzo. Uh, retaining the Aliga men's belt uh, because Mel Victory got the draw. Uh, that was enough to retain the belt. And also Jake Brimmer's injury. Uh, that could be a bit interesting. Do you hear anything about that, Joey? So Luch Traney, uh, after the game today, saying that it doesn't look good. Um, couldn't get a, you couldn't get a proper diagnosis on today because of the swelling. So you'll have to let the swelling go down a little bit more before you can do a proper scan to see what the damage is. Obviously... The fears of, with this are always ACLs. The the nature of the way that his leg twisted during the game could be MCL, PCL type ordeal, which could just be a 10-week sort of thing, which 
in theory would mean he could be back for finals football. Um, but yeah, it's going to be really interesting um, to see how Victor responds. Obviously, you don't want it to be a massive ACL for Jake Brimmer because, you know, sort of at 24 years old now, you know, we've obviously talked about what he brings to teams, what he doesn't bring to teams on the football pitch on this podcast. At 24, if he was going to make a move, and I know his family situation um, is complicated, um, which adds another wrinkle to it, but if he was going to make a move overseas, this was about around the time you'd want to be starting pressing and trying to start, um, you know, having clubs look at you. I understand that maybe one or two SPL clubs were looking at him during the off-season, but ultimately didn't make a move. So if he has done a long-term injury, that's obviously bad for him, bad for Victory's immediate season, because as much as we talk about what he doesn't bring and what he does bring, he does bring a lot to that side. He's won a few games, and a few points for Victory with his set pieces alone, but it's also not good for him long-term. Look... Very interesting. Uh, I have to go, but thanks and success. Good luck to everyone. It has been a pleasure. Uh, Great job by all. Talk to you soon. Well, as I take over for Nick Stoll, Ben, we'll we'll talk about some A-League men games in a second, and you can feel free to put in that little private chat box which ones you have watched and which ones you haven't, so we can talk about that. But also, you published another interview with James Johnson. Um, I think it was yesterday that it came out, talking about the Women's World Cup legacy. Why don't you walk us through that? Yes, it was indeed. Yeah, I um, I had a chat with James. He was in Perth last month, and we had a very brief window to uh, to chat. But I was, you know, nice to a man in person. And, um, you know, I had this uh, idea of, you know, uh, what, what does 2023 look like for Australian football? You know, I wanted to write an article about that. Obviously, the Women's World Cup is, you know, very much at the forefront of that. There's also a lot of other things. And, you know, James spoke about, you know, National Second Division, for instance, which, you know, um, since we've had the chat, uh, you know, there's been a bit of progress on that. Uh, We spoke about, uh, you know, the way forward for the Socceroos and the, the lead into the, not just the Asian Cup in January, but, you know, the fact that this year represents the start of another World Cup cycle, even though we've just literally finished the last one. Um, and, also, you know, the way forward with Graham Arnold uh, spoke a bit about, you know, from a WA perspective, being based out West, what does he see Perth's role in this, uh, you know, this incredible year that, you know, Australian football has planned and, you know, hopefully he's strongly hinted there may be a Socceroos game coming Perth's way. Uh, Sam Kerr certainly spoken about the fact she wants a women's uh, Matildas game in Perth, which you know um, might be hard pressed to get one before the World Cup at the rate we're going. But you know, perhaps uh, towards the end of the year that can that's something that could happen. But yeah, I also spoke about you know just on the Women's World Cup, what does a successful tournament look like, not just on the field and off the field and James basically said legacy, you know, this this tournament isn't going to be measured as a success, you know, in a month after it's going to be five, 10 years down the, down the line. Will we have, you know, if there are adequate facilities put in place as a, you know, because of this World Cup, is there going to be, you know, will governments come to the party and, you know, upgrade facilities and, you know, uh, make sure that, you know, local clubs have increased women's changing rooms, for example. Like, that's the sort of thing that he wants to see, you know, five, ten years down the line from this World Cup. 
because that, that has been one of the things for all the talk about legacy throughout this Women's World Cup. I mean, and what it could mean to very different people. The friends we make along the way are not a sufficient legacy for this Women's World Cup. So, you know, it, and it sounds like that's sort of what James Johnson was saying. So it's when he, the, the specifics of what he sees as a legacy, it feels like it's, we know he's big on facilities because Graham Arnold said we need a home of the Socceroos about 50 billion times since he's been reappointed as coach. Um, and it sounds like that. Did he give anything else beyond facilities about what he sees as legacy? Not really. I think, you know, he he did actually say, you know, he wants to, well, he hopes, you know, down the line that this leads to, you know, more females involved in the game, obviously, which, you know, I'm sure it will. But he also said at, you know, at boardroom level, at government, at governor's level within football circles, he would also like to see this World Cup being a starting point to see more females filtering into those roles. You know, I'm sure, you know, I don't have the numbers at hand, but I'd say if we look at most, you know, government governance circles, both, you know, state at, you know, state and, you know, national federation level, but also, you know, at, you know, grassroots clubs, I would probably guess that they are still predominantly male orientated. So and that's a big goal for him to change the way that, you know, the game is run, um, you know, with more females involved in the decision-making process. Perhaps maybe an indication of what he might be looking for in terms of a successor. But we'll we'll move on, mate, now maybe to some of the other A-League men games. We've gone through a few of them. But, well, yesterday, I think two really jump out to me. Um, Melbourne City 3, Sydney FC 2. I was at that game and... The the 3-2 scoreline is perhaps a bit deceiving given that uh, Diego Caballo scored a free kick for Sydney FC with all with the last kick of the game. But yet again, Marco Tilio really taking over the stage. And it's been really interesting to watch Marco's progression throughout this season because obviously at the very beginning of the campaign prior to the World Cup, he was on the bench. And Patrick Isnorbo, remember him, um, was getting a lot of questions about whether or not he was starting. Could he go to the World Cup? He eventually starts, misses the World Cup squad initially. Then he gets brought in because Martin Boyle's injured. Doesn't play a single minute at the World Cup, but now he's a regular starter under Rado Vidicic. And, well, he's scored with a very healthy assist from the fact that um, Sydney FC defence briefly thought COVID was still a thing and they needed to give Marco Tilio two or three metres of space, but scored one of the goals of the season. But it's Tilio feels like he's ready to go overseas to me. It's now just a matter of where does he go and is he going to be put in the situation to succeed? That's what it feels like to me. It feels like, like we talk about players needing minutes. He's got enough minutes. He's got enough games. He's got enough resume. He's now ready to go overseas to a situation that suits him. Yeah, and I'm going to be very interested to see where he actually ends up. You talk about a good situation. Will he go the way of someone like an Aaron Moy, where he ends up at a club, uh, you know, owned by the City Football Group? Does it, is that his, uh, you know, pathway out of Australia and into Europe? But yeah, you know, he was, you know. He was great yesterday. He's been, like you say, he's been very good since Rado Vidicic took over. And, um, you know, I do feel, you know, I do get the sense that Rado is a bit more of a, you know, fatherly figure, so to speak, than, uh, you know, than Paddy Kiznorbo was. But, yeah, you know, Tilio looks like, he looks, 
you know, a bit more refreshed. You know, he's obviously been given a bit more game time under, you know, Rado Vitasic. Uh, you know, the goal he scored yesterday, like you say, some very suspect Sydney defending. I saw someone uh, describe it or liken their defending on that goal to when they have a make-a-wish kid on the pitch during a charity game. Um, it was not – it was pretty poor. Um uh, but, you know, he took advantage of it. You know, you see all the time in A-League men's games, you know, lax defending, not punished. He absolutely took, you know, he took, they gave him, you know, a couple of inches and he took an arm. Um, and, you know, that's that's a sign of a player in confidence. He just looks, you know, he's such fun, like he's such a fun player to watch when he gets the ball at his feet. You know, he's got a bit more, it feels like he's got a bit more bounce in his, you know, in his step. And, you know, long may it continue because, you know, Lord knows we lack players of his ilk in terms of, you know, his player profile. He's a fantastic player with a ball at his feet. He loves dribbling. You know, we really lack that in Australian football. So, um, you know, for him to still be, to be doing this on a regular level bodes really well for the future. I think he's adjusted really well to Rado Vitasic's, you know, license, a bit more creativity, a bit more um, less regimented style in attacking Richard van der Ven, another player that's clearly really enjoying that. Uh, Valon Barisha lit up like a Christmas tree when I asked him about it last week. So there's players that are enjoying that. It, and, well, you mentioned, does he, will he follow the, I guess, the Aaron Moy and Daniel Arzani route in staying within the CFG? It, it is interesting to note, though, that, the past few, uh, the past couple of player, young players that have come out of Melbourne City and went to Europe didn't stay in the CFG. Uh, Nathaniel Atkinson, obviously heading off to Hearts, and Connor Metcalf, albeit Connor Metcalf's contract was ending, but heading off to St. Pauli in the German second division. So I, I don't think it's necessarily a fate accompli that Marco Tilio will remain in the C- City Football Group system. At the end of the day, CFG. You know, they are a business, and if they think that they're best served by uh, getting a profit on Tilio now rather than later, I'm sure they'd happily sell him or move him onto a club outside the family if it brought in more money. But two other things from this game we'll get through briefly. One, Jamie McLaren is now four goals away from Bessart Barisha as the all time A League's goal scoring leader. It's, he's obviously scoring for fun this year. Where do you actually rank Jamie McLaren, Ben? Obviously, he spent some time at Perth, even though he often subtweets Perth these days whenever he's asked in interviews about them. But where do you rank, like, not in terms of statistically, but in terms of the all-time great goal scorers in the A-Leagues, where do you rank Jamie McLaren? It's, it is, it's an interesting question because, you know, for all, you know, the quibbles you can have with his build-up play of the fact that he's a predominantly, he's a striker who predominantly likes to sit on the last shoulder of defenders. He's not someone who's going to come to the ball and, you know, be a false nine, so to speak. He's very much a, you know, I'm going to beat you in behind the line sort of player, um, which, you know, against low blocks can be, uh, you know, can be problematic for the team. But, you know, when he scores as many as he does, that you know, in a way that make that makes up for it. You know, he doesn't have the, you know, the robustness of a Bessart Barisha or, you know, he doesn't have the, the link up play of a Bruno Fornaroli or an Ola Toivonen who, you know, obviously wasn't here anywhere near as long, but incredible. still had that. He was uh, you know, he was a Rolls Royce of a player and just 
you know, the sort of player who just kind of could do a little bit of everything, but very, very well. Um, but yeah, like he's, he's, it kind of feels like he should be a bigger star within mm. Australia. And maybe if he'd, you know, been able to translate that form for the Socceroos, like a Craig Goodwin or a Matthew Leckie had, maybe his star would be a bit bigger. But he's undoubtedly, you know, you know, an A League great at this point. I mean, it's kind of hard to, hard to argue against that. I, you know, I still think, you know, uh, if we're talking about longevity, I think I'd still rather have a Bruno Fornaroli or a, or a Bessart Barisha. Um, but, you know, he's definitely, you know, you know, probably number three or number four in terms of, you know, my from a personal point of view, I think he's, uh, you know, his, his just ability to score goals at this level, you know, we shouldn't take it for granted. As much as we can, you know, critically analyse his build-up play, goals win games and he has always just been the sort of striker who knows to to find himself in the right place at the right time. It's going to be interesting to see also the Socceroos we know will be playing during the March international window games, probably set to be officially announced soon. But it's going to be interesting to see who starts up front for the Socceroos in those games. I'm inclined to think that with the games likely to be on home soil, we will get close to basically a tribute act to the World Cup. Basically, here are the World Cup boys. Have your moment in the sun, which leads me to believe that Mitch Duke will be starting. Obviously, some players might not be fit. Other players might not want to come back from all the other side of the from the other side of the world just for a bit of a tribute act. But moving forwards, it is going to be fascinating to watch that number nine slot because obviously now Mitch Duke going back to the J2, I imagine he's probably regretting agreeing to a J2 move before the World Cup because who would have known, who knows what he could have gotten after the World Cup. But who, you know, heading into this World Cup cycle, who is given first dig at leading the line for the Socceroos? Is it Jason Cummings? Is it Jamie McLaren? Is it Mitch Duke? Adam Taggart struggling to see the field at Perth Glory, but I mean, he scored two goals on debut. Um, Is it one of the new generations coming through, somebody like a Toure or someone like that. So it, that's going to be really – or D'Agostino, does he take like a duck to water to Viking? So I think that's going to be really interesting to watch moving forward, not just because we know Jamie McLaren's going to keep scoring for Melbourne City. He's found, he's having to adjust to Rado's Vitasic's system because so much of his game was built upon – psychic understandings with these players in this regimented if this player is here i'm going to make my run here and the ball is going to be here when there's a bit more improvisation within that system and players are allowed to freelance inevitably there is going to be a learning period for jamie mclaren as he tries to figure out how he fits in that he has to try to predict patterns of play a little more but he he's adjusting i mean as we saw against sydney fc um so we know he's going to score for melbourne city it's where does he fit in the Socceroos squad for the next four years, which I'm interested to, to see. Now, there were two games playing yesterday. Amy Park, Sydney FC falling to uh, another defeat. Their recent uh, run of good form snapped by Melbourne City. They're now sixth. Is this, Ben, do you think sixth, where they are right now, part of this log jam, it's about their level this season? Uh, I think think so but you know i like it just feels like every a-league men's club should be like it almost feels like they deserve to be in the bottom four or just outside <laughs> the finals but 
because there's so many of them like by just pro- process of like you know too many teams are like really abjectly boring and average this year some are going to end up playing finals and you know i like i wouldn't if you told me now that sydney would play finals i wouldn't be surprised i don't think they're particularly great but wellington you know feel like they're in free fall a bit uh you know sydney have you know i think up until the loss yesterday they you know they're on you know they had 10 points from their last four games they were starting to pick up a bit of momentum when you've got guys like you know robert mack and joe lolly who i quite like when you've got a you know a max burgess type who can you know cut open a game with a moment of brilliance then yeah i wouldn't rule them out because i feel like this a league season is going to come down to moments you know Melbourne City for me are by far the best team, and I think Central Coast are by far the second best team. Um, Western Sydney, obviously, you know, are just below them, and you know, but everyone else, like even Adelaide in fourth spot, I haven't been blown away by them. You know, Western Sydney, I haven't been blown away by. You know, Wellington, like I said, are in free fall. You know, I, I'd say most of those teams will probably play finals, but none of them are doing enough week in, week out to, you know, to convince themselves that they should be entrenched in that top six. And this is why I think Sydney is still a good chance because they just, you know, Corica just has that, like his his team knows how to get it done previously. And I wouldn't be surprised if they do it again. Well, it's interesting you say, I'm going to, we'll move on now. And it sort of provides a nice segue. But actually, before we do, we'll go through a few of the comments. Toro's on YouTube. Um, talking about our discussion with James, your discussion with James Johnson saying a good legacy uh, for the Women's World Cup would be financial help in getting women to take more of their CB and A licenses. There is a massive gender disparity in coaching. Of course, congratulations to our own Taryn Heddo, who was on before, who completed her C license um, today. She knows more than any of us, so she'll be running Australian football eventually. Um, I have the moment saying that Rado is correct in that Marco Tilio should be in no rush, unlike Arzani a few years back. I think Arzani was ready as well, but I agree with Eye of the Moment on the uh, either moment on the first point that um, Tilio can be in no rush and p- pick his right setup. Um, uh, Arb, I'm going to say, triple A, double A, B, on YouTube saying if Jota or Adaba move on from Celtic, maybe Tilio can link up with Ange at Celtic. Um, and then Happy Carrot saying, if Tilio moves overseas, where would his best move be? Scotland or, or like Belgium, the Netherlands level? I think it's less about actual country that he goes to, more just where will he see games? And there's no set style of play in any country's league. There are patterns and prevalences, but really it's about picking the right team and the right squad. I mean, what happens is, oh, he needs to go to a free-flowing team, so he should sign a free-flowing and attacking team, so he should go to La Liga next minute signs with Atletico Madrid. So there's no hard and fast rule for where teams go. But we'll now use that segue. You were saying Central Coast Mariners for you, Ben, easily the second best team in the A-Leagues. Because we did have a conversation a few weeks ago and we sort of reached a consensus that in a one-off game, so a, a grand final, in a one-off game, Western Sydney was the team most likely to beat Melbourne City in a one-off game. Now, that was based purely on their attacking, sorry, their defensive fortitude and how well they were able to frustrate Melbourne City in their draw early in the season. Well, they came out and spanked MacArthur. 
um, last night. 4-0, Borello, uh, Amalfitano, Schneiderlin, Neuenhoff on the score sheet. Craig Noon red carded in the sixth minute. Now, MacArthur are in a bit of a free fall at the moment, another team. So maybe pinch of salt for hammering them. But Wanderers, so you've got Mariners as your second best team in the league. How far are the Wanderers from that? It's interesting because, you know, I firmly believe that Central Coast best is better than Western Sydney's best. But Western Sydney, as you guys have alluded to, just have this ability to... uh, to Western Sydney just have this ability to eke out games and get results that they maybe shouldn't have. That's, you know, that's a Marco Rodan team. They're very good at grinding out, you know, results from losing positions or you know, tough positions. So I like, I mean, I can, I can completely envision a game where Central Coast are dominating, dominating Western Sydney in a semi final, say, and Western Sydney just walk away 1 0 winners or something because they score one on the break and, you know, batting down the hatches for the final half an hour. Uh, you know, I think West, you know, for MacArthur, I Milos Dojovsky has a lot on his plate there. It just feels like they're a disaster right now. And, you know, it feels like it's falling apart on the field and off the field for them as well. Uh, so, like you say, we should take it with a pinch of salt. But, you know, Western Sydney are plucky. They'll just pick up results. That's what they do. You know, the, you know adding Morgan Schneider in, Um, you know, you know, uh, signing for them and some of his class, and then Leuni as well, who, um, you know, as we spoke, as he's a fantastic goal, he scored against Adelaide. He seems to have that, uh, Michael secret stuff is so, uh, they, and that's you know, as I've, we've kind of alluded to, that's kind of what you need. Like I said earlier, A-League, I feel like this A-League season is going to be decided in moments. And, in, you know, guys like Schneiderlin and Brandon Borello, who's hitting some really good form, and Leuni, they've got guys who can produce, you know, something. So, you, you know, as much as I think it's a better team than Western Sydney at their best, I just, you can't write off Western Sydney's ability to just get something. Mm. Will be interesting to move forward. We'll quickly get through the other Aliga men's games that took place um, this weekend. Again, these two that I haven't had a chance to dive into in detail yet because of other commitments. But Western United three, the Jets one. The box office looking good for a while, but can you really call any side the box office Jets when they're losing three one to this Western United team? I guess. I mean, Western United. I guess. Ben, to follow on in your point, this is a team that shouldn't be playing finals based on what we've seen from this season. At times, they've been absolutely abject. No team in this competition has conceded more goals than Western United this season, which is remarkable when you take into account the fact that their defence pretty much carried them to a championship last year. But here they are. They're getting a win over the Jets, and now they're just five points behind Sydney FC on the table. Just two wins, and all of a sudden they're in the finals places again. And well, what's been interesting to me with Western as of late, it's the bloke that's playing up front for them, not Alex Prijevic, sort of like mini Alex Prijevic in Noah Botic. He's always been, for me, someone who's been a really exciting prospect, but sort of like he's had some really shocking luck 
over the years. Like he sort of like had some breakout performances as an under 17 with the Joey scoring a lot of goals coming out of Rockdale, um, had Manchester United interested in him before he ended up signing for Hoffenheim. But then COVID hits and COVID sort of destroys youth development for a lot of clubs around the world. Botic, when he's at Hoffenheim, he's not he's not here in Australia. He's not the shit-hot prospect that's going to save Australian football. He's not the next Mark Viduka. He's just some random kid that Hoffenheim has no real interest in. So he obviously doesn't kick on there. He comes back, um, has a number of issues seeing the field early last season um, for a variety of reasons that um, ultimately scupper that campaign. Now he's actually playing. Now he's scoring goals. And we're actually seeing potentially... Ironically, it's a player in their early 20s might be saving John Aloisi uh, and John Aloisi's season. Yeah, uh, you know, Bodic, you know, he's a prince that was promised, wasn't it? And it's taken a while for Ooh. him to to actually, uh, you know, reach, reach that point. But it's just nice to see, you know, as you alluded to, A, him getting game time under John Aloisi after, you know, he barely saw the field last year. And, you know, it's testament to his resilience as well. The fact that he has finally been afforded this chance, he's been able to take it, which, you know, all too often we see, you know, young Australian players, you know, show something early in their career and then, you know, they kind of hit some uh, fortune or, you know, or have some bad luck or they fall out of form. They can never quite recapture that but those early signs so you know it's good to see Bodic you know put another uh, you know I hope that you know Previch has kind of taken him under his wing a bit and shown him a ropes and because he's a good obviously Previch will be a very good player to learn under um but yeah no I really you know I've been really happy and really impressed with Bodic you know obviously two goals yesterday are uh, going to do a world you know a world of good to his confidence as well before I ask you quickly about the Jets Ben of the teams, so the teams six through twelfth, um, without cheating, Ben, could you tell me who you think has the best goal difference of the teams? So the teams seven through twelfth, sorry, the teams out of the finals. Tell me who you think has the best goal difference, without cheating. Hmm. I'm trying to think. Like, oh, uh, I'm going to say Brisbane Raw. It is bottom-placed Melbourne victory with minus four. <laughs> oh, God. This league so, is a meme. That, this league is indeed that. But So on the Jets, it would have been the Jets, but the heavy nature of their loss pushed them down to negative six um, on the season. Ah, oh, the Jets, man. We we were getting excited about the Jets, you know. The box office Jets are coming back, you know. Arthur Pappas is cooking. And then they lose 3-1 to Western United. It's difficult to figure out this Jets side at the moment, really, isn't it? You can get excited, but then, you know, maybe it's just the institutional weights hanging around their neck, principally the lack of ownership, which... Felt like we were supposed to hear something about that in January. We didn't. There were rumours about something in February. We didn't. We're about to head into March. There's nothing on the horizon now. But the Jets, is this another team that's sort of found their level this season, do you think? Yeah, not a good year for the Jets to be uh, to be bad, given the success of Top Gun Maverick. You know, in an ideal world, they're <laughs> capitalising. They're right out of 
Um, but yeah, no, they've they've just not been that good. You know, we're all you know, obviously the loss of Daniel Pena has you know has been spoken about on this podcast has been you know bigger to their has been a, such a we I think we underestimated just how much he bought last year and Bruno Piscobol, although he you know has those moments of magic like the goal he scored against Perth Glory at Macedonia Park. You know, it's on the whole, it's been, he's been pretty disappointing for me, which is a shame because I really rated him and I thought it was a fantastic pickup by the Jets. Uh, you know, defensively, you know, it's just same old, same old. You know, they had issues. They're still having issues this year. They shipped three to Western United, which is never good, as you say. Um, you know, I think it's almost a bit of regression to the mean. Ideally, hope that. You know, that Papa stays on another year because I think we sh- he, he showed enough in that first year as a manager to, sh- you know, show that he should probably – he deserves his chance at A-League level. Um, but, yeah, just this has been a, a bit of a, you know, they've crashed back to reality this year and uh, it's more – it's it hasn't been – it just hasn't been fun. Last year, they were just so much fun to watch. You know, as everyone has spoken about, they were just a lot of fun to watch, very proactive on the ball, very progressive. And this year, yeah, it just it feels like a bit of a Murphy's Law season. Um, you know, maybe last year was an anomaly and this is closer to who they actually are. But, um, yeah, that, that ownership situation, as you say, you know, you need some sort of, low, you know, ownership to have this leadership and set of vision not just on-field and off-field as well. And I think that's been a bit telling, that lack of that, you know, off-field kind of someone at the steering wheel to point them in the right direction this year. Mm. Yeah, it's we, we've gone into that recruiting so much, but it just does just keep ringing out. The defence still hasn't been fixed. And, yeah, the def- uh, Renaud Piscopo is a fine player, but he's a different player than Pena. Um, and some of the other additions, like, Trent Bahadur and Josh Sotirio bring you certain things, but when you want to be a ball-dominant side, you know, passing teams to death and playing this really possession-based style, how they fit into that, I'm not certain. Um, So that's going to be... But still, they're in the finals mix, and uh, we will see uh, what happens. A question coming in from... Triple uh, A, double A, B again. I'm not going to try to say it properly. Is the Jets asking price too high, or is there simply no interest at all? We can only speculate um, at this point what it is. I'd have, I'd have to imagine that whilst the APL aren't going to just give them away for free. Bear in mind that it is basically the APL that own the Jets. It's they're being bankrolled by a consortium of A leagues clumps whilst the OPL aren't going to give the Jets away, I can't foresee a situation where the APL is just happy to have the Jets on their books long-term. It's not a good situation for anybody. So I can't see the asking price being too high. It just might be, I would say, no interest at all. But right now, people may be seeing um, that the A-Leagues would probably like to get the Jets um, off their... Uh, books and maybe trying to lowball them. Who knows? We can only speculate on that. As I said, the rumor mill has talked about different owners for ages and nothing's come through. Um, we'll get to the final, and Ben's been very generous of bailing me out, so I'm not doing a massive monologue throughout this entire episode, but we'll uh, we'll get to the final game of the A-League men round. 
um, that took place. Took place on Friday night. Took place whilst I was calling Melbourne Knights 1-1 draw with the Oakley Cannons. Um, but from what I can pick up, Ben, um, going back and watching it, mad ending. Uh, so basically the score was 1-0 heading into the 90th minute. The Mariners down a man after Brian Caltank's red card. Oscar Zavada scores in the 94th minute. Maresh gets red carded in the 97th minute. Now, it wasn't the maddest event of the weekend because Danyanong Thunder and St. Albans drew four all. And I think seven goals in that game, six or seven goals in that game were scored after the 90th minute. But like you were talking about the Mariners as their second best team in the league and the Phoenix in a bit of free fall. Did the Phoenix just get lucky? Uh, sort of. I mean, like, they were playing with a, you know, the Phoenix were playing with a man up for half an hour. Um, but, you know, Central Coast still had opportunities in that stretch. You know, Sam Silvera had, had a couple of chances, I think. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, it's obviously, you know, you Nick Montgomery is funny. After the Glory game a few weeks ago, he was talking about, you know, um, Brian Kaltak, you know, didn't have a great game against Perth Glory last weekend, but he said, uh, oh, you know, like, you know, Brian kind of lost a bit of momentum when he got sent off and, you know, he's come back this week and it's a bit of a slow adjustment. Well, he's just been sent off again, which, uh, you know, with, I believe Nectar Triantis is, uh, is away, uh, on young Socceroos duty at the moment as well. So, you know, it's obviously good having Dan Hall there, but, you know, the, with Trantis and Caltech out now, it's going to be a bit of a bit of a blow to Central Coast moving forward. But you know, I, I enjoyed the game. I, I caught the second half uh, after work, and uh, you know, it was it was it was fun. You know, I didn't. I thought Central Coast maybe could have done a bit more to, you know, probably had perhaps done enough. I thought they would have got a way of a win. Uh, but you know, credit to Wellington, they you know they toughed it out. They got a result in a you know from an uncomfortable position uh you know I, i'll be it with a man up uh i didn't i still haven't actually seen the brian caltex cut red card because it happened just before i started watching that game um but the more red card was uh yeah just a bit of madness uh, obviously resulted in nick montgomery getting sent from a field as well uh for his protestations uh with Maresh, you know i i know um i think it was scott wooden who made you know a meal of it but once you raise your hands to someone's face repeatedly, um, and I believe he, you know, he kind of poked him with his finger you know, in the face, in the eye area. Once you do that, you're giving the referee a decision to make. Now I know Wooten made the most of it, and you know, a poke him, you know, a poke just below the eye probably didn't have enough force to push him over, as you know, as we saw. But a, you shouldn't, Maresh shouldn't be, you know, poking his fingers in that area in the first place. And once B, once the referee sees that, you know, he's going to give a red card. That's just what, you know, that's just what happens, regardless of whether or not Wooden, you know, played it up, made a meal of it, you know, whatever you like. It's just a boneheaded thing to do from Maresh. And, you know, he let his emotions get the better of him. And, uh, uh, yeah, like I said, I think I thought I felt in the moment that Central Coast probably had done enough to you know to walk away with all three points but yeah to lose to lose two players and to red cards and then nick montgomery as well is uh it's a blow to them uh next uh looking forward 
Well, we have, yes, in case any of our eagle-eyed viewers are paying attention. Yes, we have gone over 90 minutes. Nick Stoll is gone. I am at the wheel. Uh, Brucey bonus special bit of TNC. But we are going to be wrapping up now. And, Ben, before you jumped on, we had um, Taryn on, spoke a bit of dub, spoke a bit of pride round. Um, I know the Perth Glory uh, women's side had the rainbow numbers on the back of their jerseys for their game. Obviously, story Tash Rigby coming out in the week, getting engaged to her partner, um, congratulations to her. What did you make of you know, what happened out west with the pride? Did you, you know, what was it like? Well, you'll be very happy to know that when the teams lined up uh, before the game, the Glory Gorilla was uh, where had the uh, the pride flag in his hands and was waving it. <laughs> so, uh, uh, the Glory Gorilla is an ally. We can uh, we can confirm that. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think it was. I think it was good for, you know, the playing kits with the numbers and the socks I thought were really well done. It was kind of, uh, you know, rather than designing a whole new kit, it was just kind of a nice way to freshen it up. Um, uh, and, yeah, you know, there are pride, there are pride flags around, uh, you know, the corner flags of pride, which I think was commonplace throughout the throughout the round. And then, you uh, you know, there were posters up as well talking, you know, promoting Macedonia Park as a safe and inclusive space, which, you know, is a, is a, is a nice touch. I noticed there was similar posters around Melbourne Victory I saw on social media today. Um, yeah, I think, the, I think the club did a good job of it with the women's team for sure. Um, you know, they spoke about because it was their home game, they wanted to go, oh, wow, you know, this is they wanted for women to be front and centre. And, you know, obviously given, you know, Tash's marriage proposal uh, with uh, Ange Stannett, who was a former Glory player, but now plays for Fremantle Dockers in the AFLW, Sharon Rule. Uh, there, you know, it was a, it's a really good story. I spoke to Tash about it earlier in the week, um, spoke about, laughed about what good timing it was. And, you know, she's been very big this week. She's a fantastic captain for that team because she's, you know, A, she's a fa- just a fun person to speak to because, uh, you know, Sorry, sorry, but the seagulls behind you are starting to look very Hitchcocky and uh, birds. <laughs> um, but yeah, back, <laughs> yes, uh, but yeah, going back to Tash, she's a fantastic leader for that team. She's such a bubbly, infectious personality, and she was saying, you know, this game is not about enforcing an ideology on people. It's about providing those, you know, people with a safe space because, you know, as the statistics show, people from an LGBTIQ Plus, you know, from that demographic, they're not typically they don't they're not typically sports fans in the way that the rest of the population are, and they don't feel comfortable attending sports games. So, you know, things like the Pride Round, and you know, credit to to uh, you know to the actual A leagues as well, who reportedly have done a lot of good work in actually setting this up and you know implementing training session you know training sessions and for staff and players on you know awareness around these sorts of issues. You know, I think. Uh, you know, the Glory women took a big picture afterwards uh, with the crowd. Uh, there are a lot of people there dressed up in, you know, pride colours. Matthew Stacey uh, won best dressed with a, you know, he, uh, if you've ever been to a Glory game, Matthew Stacey dresses up every single game uh, and he won. Uh, he went all out for Pride Week, which was, you know, good to see. It was a really nice, there were good vibes down at Macedonia Park and it was, you know, good to see Glory get their fourth win in a row in the A-League women. Well, that was the other question. A Hannah Lowry double um, lifting them to a 2 0 win over Brisbane. And all of a sudden, the finals race, um, what was pointed out by Tao and Dubzone today, um, they can't because I think they play each other 
uh, during the run home. But in theory, in some magical world, if Victory, Canberra and Perth Glory to all, were all to win out throughout the rest of the season, Perth Glory would finish on the most points. So I said um, earlier on the show when we had Taryn on that if anybody was going to overhaul Melbourne Victory, I thought it would be Perth Glory. What do you think the odds are actually that Alex Aparkas and co can overhaul um, Melbourne Victory and Canberra United in the finals? They've got, per- they've got Western Sydney for their next game. Um, and then they've got, I think they've got to play uh, Adelaide as well. And then there's a game against Wellington. But I think you have pointed out on the show, then there is a murderous run home, isn't there? There is. Their final uh, three games of a season are uh, six days apart. And they're all in three different states, which is going to be, you know, in a, you know, I'm sure Alex Aparkas is, uh, you know, is hoping that they are, you know, well and truly in the race or well and truly in the top four by the time they actually reach that, you know, those final three games uh, so that they don't have to win them all to, you know, secure their spot. But, yeah, you know, he's spoken for a while about how every game needs to be, you know, treated like the last game of the season. Uh, You know, he's spoken about it repeatedly about, you know, we have to – every game needs intensity. Every game needs, you know, a certain, you know, understanding that – we need three points here. And, you know, he was very quick to pay tribute to uh, the players for heeding his advice and talking about how important, uh, you know, you know, he says they've just taken to the game plans like ducks to water, basically. And, you know, he basically pay, he basically put all the, the uh, you know, all the improvement on them. He said they're doing exactly, you know, as I asked them to win, you know, they're reaping the rewards at the moment. It's really good, you know. Like we spoke, about, I've spoken about pre- previously. Obviously, Riley Basden was top scorer in the league when she did her ACL, and um, you know, I you know it's a huge loss to this team. But you've had people, players like uh, you know Susan Fonson Cam step up. Uh, Sophia Sakalas, I thought was great yesterday. Uh, hit the bar twice, and um, you know, was really just so like so lethal cutting in. She looked very dangerous. Uh, someone like a Hannah Lowry, who's been the reason I haven't really missed Ella Master Antonio. Uh, it's really nice to see a 19-year-old like Lowry just so comfortable on the ball. You know, she shows for the ball. She wants the ball like in tight areas. Um, you know, she's such a. You know, but like, but as Parker said in the post-game presser yesterday, that you know, yes, with the first goal, you know, Shuttlesworth has slipped and kicked it straight to her. But you know, Lowry still had to compose herself and you know, just guide that ball over over Shuttleworth's head and into the back of the net. A lot of players would have messed that up. And for a 19-year-old to show just so, such poise and coolness on the ball is a really exciting thing. And she's definitely someone I think can make that jump to Matilda's long term. Well, it will be an interesting run home throughout the rest of the A-League women's season. Well, the rain has started to fall here at Amy Park. It is 10-15 on the East Coast. The A-League women's game here finished two hours ago. I think I'm the last person in the stadium. I think it's probably about time that we begin to wrap up here at the National Curriculum for this latest edition on the 26th of February or whenever you happen to be listening to it on a podcast. We had uh, Nick Stoll at the side of the show. Great to have Taryn Heddo to join us to speak about Pride and A-League women's. Ben Smith has come in and absolutely bailed me out to take to take <laughs> us through the rest of the week's action. Ben, thank you ever so much for joining us. Thank you, Joe. You should have just done a Zach Lowe-style monologue to end the show. It would have been brilliant. 
I'm got to let you say something. Um, anyway, but yes, thank you ever so much for joining us on the national curriculum. For anybody watching along in the stream, my T-shirt is from Transcend Protect Trans Kids. My button is from Transgender Victoria. Remember, trans rights are human rights. Um, but anyways, wherever you are around the world, thank you ever so much for listening. And uh, as I tee up the outro music, and I will remind you, I can't find the brand. This is awful. I forgot to get that. As I tee up the exit music, I will say thanks and success. Thank you.